They've taken his daughter. Now he's taking them down. We are the Spyfy Guys, and this is Taken. Welcome to the Spyfy Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And today we are covering the film Taken, which is, you know, now just kind of like a what is a meme of I have a very particular set of skills, etc. Well, certainly it's a very well-known movie. The initial commercial with him making that speech lit the internet up and the world really like a <laughs> firestorm. And I would dare say the movie to follow lived up to that trailer. Let's save it for the review, Zach. So to cover Taken, we have brought on the biggest Taken fanboy we know, which is Matt, my brother from Tuesday Night Gaming. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here. And I'm not a Taken fanboy. I'm just a critic with great taste. (laughs) Of course you are. Uh... So what is everyone's backgrounds with Taken? I'm pretty sure I know Matt and mine, which is we saw it. We loved it. Matt liked it a lot more than I did. But my understanding is that Christian had never seen it before today. No. And it's not that I was like avoiding it or didn't want to watch it. I just missed it when it was in theaters and just never got the chance that you watch it. Like, I I know I wanted to like dedicate time. There's been many an opportunity when I could have watched it on like an airplane. I'm like, no, I don't want to watch it on a tiny screen. I want to, you know, give myself the full experience. And then when we started this podcast, I was like, you know what? Let's save it until we actually cover it. Well, certainly I'm sure you knew it by reputation. This movie started Liam Neeson's second career as an action hero. Right. Yeah. Not just these movies, but what was it? There's the one with the wolves. There's, isn't there another like wintry one where she does? Yeah, no, he's just now. There's walk among the tombstones. There's unknown. That's the one on the plane. There's like a train one. There's one on a plane. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, That one's great. There's a couple on a plane. There's one where he's an air marshal. Can we really credit, you know, his start as an action star to episode one of The Phantom Menace? It was definitely Taken that started these all <laughs> off. I know. I kid. I kid. Although, you know what? To be fair, like, because when did this movie come out? I think it came out in like 2004 or 2005, right, Zach? It came out in 2008. Ah, okay. Oh, okay. So, I mean, Batman Begins was also like, what, three years before this. Not as much action in there, but, you know, it's... it's He's like the mentor. And this movie also created a genre of movies where it's like old men going on like revenge rampages. <laughs> yep. So like there's a John Travolta one, a couple of John Travolta ones, probably, uh, you know, <laughs> Bruce Willis. It's pretty much if you're like an old white man, you can make a movie that's like this and people are going to uh... go watch it. So, Christian, have you seen any of these Liam Neeson action hero no. movies? <laughs> okay, so I would encourage you not to see them because they're okay. not that good. All right. I was you, wondering where you were going to go with that. <laughs> but, I, but I think if you do see them, you will realize that they are very reminiscent of Taken and That's not so I much figured. Batman Begins or fair episode enough, Fair enough. See, this is why, like, yeah, why I haven't watched them because I figured they're just rip off. So the other thing I knew about Taken was not about this movie. I think it's in the second or third movie where he's jumping over a fence and there are like 28 cuts in that one little montage of him jumping over a fence. Yeah, that's in Taken 2, which I saw in theaters when it came out because I was very excited. And it was terrible. And I didn't even see Taken 3. (laughs) Because it's just, it didn't have any of the same vibe. It didn't have the same emotional stakes. It just, it was just not. Maybe we'll bring you back and force you to watch it. So, but let's get into this movie. And then after another three years, you can bring me on. (laughs) However long you guys have been doing this. Not that long. Okay, here's the IMDb plot summary. A retired CIA agent travels across Europe and relies on his old skills to save his estranged daughter who has been kidnapped while on a trip to Paris. A lot of things in that summary is wrong. Across (laughs) Europe? What are they talking about? And she's not estranged. That one's not quite so cut and dry. Yeah. Anyway, so we start this movie with a birthday party uh, for a five-year-old girl who we find out is Kimmy. And our main character, Brian Mills, is played by Liam Neeson. So he's basically daydreaming about this, wakes up, and he puts down a photo like of his daughter at this age. He buys a karaoke machine, brings it to his daughter's birthday party, and this house is like ridiculous, ginormous. I think about the house... When he arrives, they say the kids' party is in the back, which made me think yeah. 
that they were trying to make the audience think that she's still five. <laughs> right? Because a 17 year old as a kid, it's like when you're 17 and they put you at the kids' table for Thanksgiving <laughs> and you're like, I don't belong at the kids' table. Obviously, Zach, you have not rubbed shoulders with the wealthy. Because yeah. I guess the wealthy, it's like the, no, no, the, kid, the girl's no. birthday party is a social event for the dad, the stepdad, where he invites all his rich friends and they talk about stuff rich people talk about. And then the kids presumably do drugs and stuff in the back and they just don't see them. Of course, of course. Yeah. By the way, yeah. you didn't ask me about my background with this movie, which is oh, that yeah. I think I saw it when we were in like college and I watched it a bunch of times because I, I thought it was amazing. Because it is. And I actually probably haven't seen it since then until oh, okay. now. And it totally holds up. <laughs> but it was a different experience watching it. You, why, why don't you give us your input also as the only one of us who's a father? Like, if yeah. that fits you different. It did, actually. Because so when I watched it in college, I was like, this is great. Like, he's going out. This happened to him. It's basically like a male fantasy. This Horrible thing happens to her, to his daughter. And you really get the feeling from the beginning here how much he cares about her. You start with the home videos. She's so cute. She's so adorable. And then he, he goes to the karaoke machine. He's obviously thinking about her a lot. And so he then he goes and he kicks all this butt. Are you allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he kicks all this butt and he gets her back. And it's amazing. And it's great. And now, so that's what I watched as a college student. Now... Yeah. I'm a father, I have two children, I have an older daughter, and I watch it, and this horrible thing happens, and rather than being like, this is great, what a great revenge thing, all I can think about is, if this happens to my own daughter, there is no way I would be able to do any of this stuff. I know my limitations now, of which there are many, and it's more of a humbling experience, and I'm glad, and it's it hits close to home, because the scenario that they set up happens all the time. It's extremely grounded in reality. Unlike, say, certain other franchises that I know are near and dear to people's hearts. This kind of thing happens all the time. And it's scary. Mm-hmm. And at, from this perspective now, it's no longer kind of like an entertaining romp. It's more like a cautionary tale. Like a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Because wow. I know there's no way I would be able to do any of the stuff that he does in this movie. So let's get into it. Zach said we have the adult party and the kids party. It's where we find out that Brian is divorced from his wife. His daughter seems happy to see him, though. But the mom is a bit of a killjoy. So what's great about this part and what I forgot about it is that there's a lot of humor in this movie. I forgot yeah. about that. This part is great. So he's talked to his ex-wife, Famica Jansen, from the X-Men original movies. And Goldeneye. Uh, yes. And, uh, and it's funny because she keeps like trying to tell him to do stuff and he keeps just like, completely ignoring her. He gives her the karaoke machine. She's like, we want people to open it later. And he's like, open it now. <laughs> she starts opening it. And he's like, here's a picture. And she's like, we're going to do pictures later. And he's like, smile. Just take the picture. It's hilarious. <laughs> she says something like, you never could follow the rules or mm. whatever. Yeah, which is uh, true. He doesn't follow the rules. We also find out that the stepfather is bit of a show off because right after you know she she opens the karaoke machine and she's really excited but i'm really happy then the stepfather brings out a literal pony it's so over the top oh just like the God. movie itself <laughs> but it's and show so- not tell they show you that the stepdad is a rich douchebag and we think he's a douchebag because we're on liam neeson's side but all he's really doing is just giving the daughter what she wants i mean she likes horses you can tell that from the picture in his mm-hmm. eyes yeah. Something I did not remember is that there's a shot of Kimmy on the horse, and then there's a shot of Liam Neeson standing there watching her, and the karaoke machine is literally on the ground. Yep. Next to his it, it was dr- like dropped as soon as the <laughs> pony showed up. I thought the karaoke machine was going to come back at the end, like a motif. Yeah. Yeah. It does come back in the end because of the singer. Because of the singing. Yeah. This part also, our sister Alana made the point that I've never been able to forget, which is that Kimmy runs everywhere. Everywhere she goes, she <laughs> runs. And it happens in this part, too. She runs to see Liam Neeson when, she, when he comes in, and then she runs to see the horse. That's true. Christian, if you ever rewatch this movie, it's hard not to see it <laughs> once you notice it. Okay, okay. Anyway, so Brian goes, gets his photo developed, because, hey, remember when that was a thing we had to do? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Puts it in an album, which presumably has a bunch of other photos of Kimmy. And then a bunch of his friends come up, and seemingly they're all ex-CIA. They tease him about being retired, 
We find out that he gave up his life to be closer to his, to his daughter. It's interesting that he gave up his career to move close because when we meet him in the movie, he has recently done that, which is yep. not something I picked up upon right away. It oh. seemed like he was living this sad, lonely existence for a while, mm-hmm. but it's not actually it, true. It's ambiguous about how long he's been there because they go over. It's like a tradition. They're like every Friday, right? Blah, blah, blah. It's just ambiguous about how long he's been there for, because it seems like he's been there for a while. They're like, how's it going? He's like, I'm working. I'm getting through to her. But you're right. It's like he hasn't made that much progress. It doesn't really matter that much. But yeah, they named drop Langley and they named drop Hezbollah. Mm -hmm. So one of them, we catch what his name. I think it was Sam. Yeah, Sam. That's right. Offers him a job. Seemingly, they're now private security. And so it's escorting a singer to the, with them at a concert. And Liam Neeson says yes, because his daughter wants to be a singer. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, not to harp on this too much, because ultimately all this stuff in the beginning is kind of besides the point. But I think it's interesting that they do a lot of really good showing not telling, except about being a singer. For the singing, it's all telling. I guess right. the karaoke she's, machine is a little bit of showing too. But she, said, she says she wants to be a singer. That's true. And I think yeah. this part, it does go on a little bit long, uh, but it is important for two two reasons. One is you get the nice ending with the singer, which is you'd have to be a robot not to get a little choked up for that part at the end. And then the second one is that one of the reasons this movie is is so great is that it has great <laughs> emotional stakes. Okay? Mm-hmm. This beginning, you really get the feeling that Liam Neeson loves his daughter, will do anything for her. Mm-hmm. And in the other movies, <laughs> other spy movies, like James Bond, I'm going to go ahead and say it, there's uh-huh. not the, the the emotional stakes are not there. You get the feeling he's a guy who's doing his job, just like all you know, like all the other ones. Not 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 to pick on James Bond per se, you know, like Triple X or any of the other ones you guys have done. It's people, they're spies, they're doing their job. You know, it's it's for England, James. But this one is for him. <laughs> I see very strong feelings about this movie. Yes, it's great. <laughs> okay. So Liam Neeson takes the job and. He tries to talk to the singer about getting his daughter a break. At first, she's resistant. It's not to even it. that. He's just asking, "Do you have any advice?" Yes, that's true. Yeah, and he, she says, "Tell her to pick a different career." Yeah, yeah, she's kind of burned out. She's a little cold to be expected. Until there's some kind of like entrapment situation at the concert where somebody, presumably somebody. the killer, yeah. like breaks open a gate to let the fans come in, forcing her towards them, and then Liam Neeson slams that guy to the dirt and takes him down. So here's the thing about the action I, on the most part, enjoyed, but it's still in that Bourne's um, supremacy mode of the shaky cam and the quick cuts and all that, which for me, I like it better when an action cut, you just leave longer cuts. You can actually see what the action is going on, but it was still effective here. I find it interesting that you say that because I detest the Bourne movies for that exact reason, the shaky cam. Matt Damon comes up against the guy and then you can't see anything that happens next. <laughs> and then the guy's on the ground. I don't think, like, in this one, it was quite that bad. I, I thought you could pretty see the action pretty well. Mm, there were still parts where it's just very choppy for mm-hmm. me. I will say, I didn't pick up on it, because it's a throwaway line. Sam says, who left that gate open? Uh-huh. Set up, pay off. Someone <laughs> left right. the gate open, it's the killer. That's right. It's like an assassination attempt. But yeah, so Brian uh-huh. disarms him get, and gets uh, the singer into the car. They drive away. Yeah, the singer's name is She-Ra, like That's She-Ra right. and the Princesses of Power. <laughs> uh, so Brian and his friends get paid, but before they leave, She-Ra wants to talk to Brian. And now she's a lot nicer to him. He gives him uh-huh. a card for Kimmy for a vocal coach and a card for her manager. Which pays off at the end of the movie. It's beautiful, beautiful foreshadowing. Anyway, so during that whole, he actually scheduled to have lunch with his daughter. And mm-hmm. so the, he goes to lunch. He thought it was just going to be the two of them, but the mom is there too. We find out that Kimmy is going to Paris with her friend Amanda. And in this part, when Kimmy sees Liam Neeson at the table, she doesn't walk up to the table. <laughs> she runs to the table. <laughs> so I have a question for you guys. Does Kimmy yeah. seem immature to you for 17? No. For 17, no. But she doesn't seem immature, but she dresses like a child. There's a deliberate choice on the part of the filmmakers to dress her like a young, I'm going to say it, like a young girl. She wears like a headband and like simple dresses and stuff like that. And then in the part where they're off to France, she's in like a like a denim jacket. Like she's not dressed like an adult woman. Because she's not. She's a 17-year-old. They could have dressed her like an adult woman. Christian, certainly you remember being a teenager and teenage 
teenagers would dress older, especially girls. Like if it's their seventeen year old birthday party, they could, wear, they could wear like short skirts and like or like I pants. Say it whatever. really depends on the girl. Well, so I mean, yes, it it depends. But we we all knew people like that when we were teenagers. Amanda would. Amanda had bad influence. Uh, oh my god. Well, anyways, let's move on. <laughs> So apparently the reason that they're having this lunch is because she's under 18. She needs his permission to leave the country. And of course, with his long career, he's resistant. But he's just like, no, I don't want anything. I just want this. Which was a pretty immature reaction. Uh, were, what are you, were you guys on Liam Neeson's side in this conversation? Like, even knowing what's going to happen. Like, I was kind of like, yeah, I can see where he's coming from. The only problem is, as he's not really her father because he hasn't been around, it's kind of hard for him to suddenly be like, oh, I'm watching out for you. I'm not on his side here, but after this, uh, in the next scene, you know, he knocks on their door and he actually has the paperwork signed. And I agree with him when you know, the mom's like, you can just sign in the first place. And he says, well, you could have talked to me first about it. First. I was like, oh, you know, now no, I'm on his side. Like, yes, being blindsided by this and not just sort of having the mother broach it beforehand instead of just showing up unexpected hey sign this paperwork another reason why this is a male fantasy is he wins a lot of arguments with his ex-wife <laughs> was 2008 pre the european union i feel like europe has no. much more of a reputation for being safer now than perhaps it was in the past but i think more to the point is that liam neeson sees the dark side of humanity all the time so when he thinks travel outside of the United States, outside of this perfect little bubble that Kimmy lives in, he's immediately going to think dangerous. The EU was formed in 1993. Okay. For Googling. Yeah, I think it's it's not that Europe's seen as a dangerous place here. It's more the war his background, that he's suspicious of everything, basically. Absolutely. He gives Kimmy a place, of, like a list of places to avoid in Paris. He also gives her international phone, as well as actually has all these rules of what she's supposed to do. Like, And this is just good common sense. Well, maybe, you know, calling... You know, every night before bed is a little excessive, but like calling when she lands, letting him know exactly where she's staying and when, if she's going to move to somewhere else. That makes yeah, sense. It's a little bit over the top, but I buy it. So the, the places to avoid it leads me to a story. And oh, I'm boy. sure I told both of you this story before. But in early 2020, when I went to Ireland, saw all the Michael Collins stuff, we've been over that. But hmm. when we got to the hotel, they gave us a map of downtown Dublin. They said, OK, now this area, don't go here at night. This area... This can get a little sketchy. Don't be out there after 2 a.m. Over here should be okay. Just don't get there too early. And like basically all of these areas in Dublin were like apparently sketchy and full of crime, which is a heck of a way to be introduced to the city that you've never been to before. <laughs> and now I will try to remember on our social media to post that picture. <laughs> okay. When he is helping Kimmy with the bags as she's running to her friend Amanda. <laughs> Quickly before that part, there's a good conversation in the car. He's driving her to the airport and they talk about his background. And she questions him a little bit. There's some good quotes in it. Uh, He talks about how his job made him aware of problems. And she asks him what he does. He said he was a preventer. Some good character building. But yeah, then they get to the airport and he runs into Famica Jansen again. I do think it was funny that he drove her and then Lenore met them there in a taxi. In their like private car or whatever with their driver. That was part of his agreement. That was like, uh, I could be the one to drop you off at the airport. That's true. There was no part of the agreement that was like, your mom can't be there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he sees the map of Europe and it's a character thing because sweet little Kemi lied to him mm-hmm. to his face. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the mom yeah. is in on it. She facilitated <laughs> oh, it. She's not just going to Paris, Amsterdam, probably Rome, probably. Yeah. So a bunch of other places, places. following you two on their European tour. Dates the movie a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't know if you two was what all the 17 year olds were into, but yeah, I'd believe it more if it was, I don't know. I don't know. Popular uh, band in 2008. They should have just made up a band. They should have been like, Mucus Membrane's our favorite band <laughs> and they're going all over Europe. No, I agree. Because when it's you two, it sounds like it's some 50 year old Hollywood screenwriter. That's like, what's a big band in Europe these days? Uh, <laughs> I was expecting more of a big fuss about this, but he doesn't. So he lets her go. And this may be uh, the only part of the movie where she walks through the metal detector. <laughs> yeah, True. that's right. She does walk through the metal, metal detector. You can't run through a metal detector. Also, Lenore says something about for five years, I waited for you, Brian, waiting to see when the call would come. 
I was like, five years isn't that long. Give me 17. And he was there for every birthday. I know. I just thought it was weird, but Hmm. it's all good. Unless she was five when they split up, like, and they've been divorced that long. Oh, that's true. That would make sense. Anna Casey has a pretty good relationship with her, considering. She says, I love you, daddy, to him when she gets what she wants. Typical <laughs> child, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so this is when we meet Katie Cassidy's playing oh, Amanda, yes. the worst character in the movie. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> she is the worst, though. It's a tough uh, part. Worse than the actual kidnappers? <laughs> There's not much you can do with that. It's Marco from Traboya and then Amanda. Or the sheep. And then the sheep. And it's like in that order. Oh, God. Anyway, the sheep so. offers to negotiate. Amanda's oh, just like, boy. let's go. <laughs> All right, so, so they the get to Paris. Fly. One of them's taking a photo of the other one. I don't remember which one which. But this guy next to them outside of the airport, which did not look like the outside of Charles de Gaulle Airport. This movie was apparently a French production, which I huh. did not realize. Okay. Interesting. All right. So it probably was. Okay, it didn't look familiar to me. So this guy likes Alfred to take a photo of them and then makes does this whole big spiel of, oh, you know, cabs here are so expensive. Will you want to share one with me? The conversation is actually, it seems really innocuous. But it's like, yeah, why wouldn't you share a taxi? Why wouldn't you go to a party with this guy? Like, no, that's ter- no, that's a bad no, idea. But what, no, but that's what that happens all the time, especially to college students. They're like, they'll let's say you're in New York City and you like run into some dudes and they're like, we're going to the some some party. You want to come? And ninety nine percent of them idea. don't end in women getting abducted and sold into human trafficking. The major issue was she told him that they were there by themselves, yeah. and they she told the wrong person that they were there by yeah. themselves. Amanda has a huge mouth, and she also told them where they were staying, which probably well, not only where they saw it when they were being, you know, when they shared the cab, right? And she right. said that they were there by, yeah, they were there by themselves. Yeah. That's right. To Kimmy's credit, she like is not happy with that, right? She's but like, she... you know, I thought it was just, you know, I thought they were in Madrid because she thought cousins would also be there. So this is a little dark humor, but I do think it's a little funny that they're not even in. Paris like an hour when they get kidnapped. I forgot how quickly it happens. Yeah. Like, he basically walks away and then like five minutes later the kidnappers come. Yeah. Which is a little bit like excessive but it, I guess it's alright. Brian's checking the flight info. He hasn't gotten a call yet. He I like that he's like sitting in his dark house staring at the wall <laughs> waiting for the call to come in. I mean his daughter is like his only it's the only thing he has going on in his life. It does make sense. I'm kind of surprised he didn't just go. Like the moment he found out they were leaving, I'm surprised he didn't just follow her because she wouldn't have seen him. He's got his particular set of skills. Yeah. I enjoyed when Brian calls Lenore and it's clearly like the middle of the night and she Mm -hmm. like basically tells him to F off. She's in Spain. She's 17. Give her some space. She makes the point that if you smother her, you'll lose her, which Mm -hmm. it sounds perfectly reasonable in a different context. Yeah. So Brian's calling up her phone. Irresponsible Amanda's got the radio blasting, so they can't hear the phone. But finally, she, Brian gets through. They're actually, so this, they, then the girls talk about how Amanda's going to have sex with Peter. Oh, right. Which yeah. is like, I wouldn't have brought it up, except for the fact that and they, they talk about how Kimmy's never had sex, which is a very, a very important plot point. Um, I don't know about that. very important. No, it is important, Zach, because that's why she doesn't die from a heroin overdose in some back alley and why she gets sold to the sheik is because she's pure right because ah. she's because she's a virgin so that's that's the explanation right yeah also this scene fails the bestel test Correct. just wanted to yeah. put that out there uh-huh. and therefore the movie does <laughs> when she gets through I, had, I respected that kimmy first of all told her father that the cousins are not here then like pretty i didn't know it was gonna be, happen this quick that she sees someone abducting amanda like because it's a uh, I think this is a pretty common setup for like apartments in Paris where you have like basically a courtyard in the middle and you have everything else up around that courtyard. So she's from the window of the bathroom. She can see through and see them abducting her. And it's like a horror movie, except there's no like bump, 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 bump. It's all yeah. visual, mm-hmm. which actually kind of makes it scarier. No, this scene is great. This scene is, is gripping, gripping. Yeah. It was just as much as it was then as it, you know, when I first saw it as it is now. You spend enough time with Kimmy that you really care about what happens to her. You don't see the faces of any of the attackers. It's just great. It's a great sequence. The conversation with Liam Neeson is great because he's like, he takes control of it to a point. I would dare anyone to watch this part up until the good luck line and then 
tell them to turn off the movie and walk away. You wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> you would have to want to see what happens next. I like how he actually, like, yeah, his brain got, starts get to, getting to work. He like starts recording the call, and he tells her to describe what's going on. And then like the part where he actually tells her, you're going to get taken, but you know I'm going to get you. That it was kind of terrifying in a way. It is. It just yeah. is. It's, it's completely terrifying. And I like how when she's under the bed, they leave it. They make it seem like she's going to get away. Like mm-hmm. the guys come in, they have a conversation, then they leave. And it's silent just long enough to make you think that she's actually going to get out of it. And then she doesn't. Yeah. Brian tells her to shout out when they take you. Shout out any description that you can. And to her credit, she does. So she sh- shouts out that, what was it, the about six feet beard tattoo on the right hand with a crescent moon and a star. Mm-hmm. She actually says that because yeah. I was listening and I couldn't hear it. Oh, I heard all of that. Yeah. Okay, good. Matt, this is why you got to watch these movies with subtitles. No, I. it's not meant to be watched with subtitles. We have this conversation all the time. If you can't understand it without the subtitles, it's not good sound mixing. Yeah. To be fair, there's a whole thing around now that sound mixing is just off in like most movies. A lot of the times action scenes will be way louder than the... But, mm-hmm. you know, that's getting off topic here. So, yeah, so she shouts those, shouts those descriptions, and this is where we get the speech, the... I have a very particular set of skills, etc. It's great. <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. There's nothing else to say about it. The only thing with the speech I didn't remember was when he said, I will search for you. I will find you. Yeah. I didn't remember that. Oh, okay. I yeah. Having not seen this movie, I knew about the speech. Mm-hmm. So he sends the recorded phone call that he made to his friend, Sam. Yeah. And then he does. T- like, I was worried that he was not going to tell. Lenore and uh, Stuart about this and just go off on his own. But it's a good thing that he doesn't. He goes and talks to them. You get to see the mom eat shit, as I wrote in my notes. <laughs> but it's not as satisfying as it used to be. I remember when I was watching this, like, in Isaac Koch, I was like, yeah, take that, mom. You said he was pathetic. You said he was loving her. Eat, you know, like, take that. But now it's just kind of, like, sad, and I feel bad mm-hmm. for her. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth being right when you're in this situation. Yeah. But yeah, Sam really comes through for brian he has like a ton of information based Mm -hmm. off just the phone call yeah he says that the based on the voice alone he can somehow tell that the guys that it's marco from traboya gives him all this information about Mm -hmm. the bad guys and which brings me to another point about why this movie is amazing because the bad guys are all (laughs) scum they're human (laughs) scum they're not guys just doing their jobs right Mm -hmm. they're not just soldiers doing it for the paycheck they're all terrible people who deserve every throat punch that Liam Neeson gives them. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's also great because we get a time lock here. This is another thing I remembered yeah. is when they said you have 96 hours and then you'll never find her. Yep. I like here when he is showing off to Stuart that he knows basically everything about Stuart's business. And so one of those things that can help him is he can get some charter him a, a private jet to Paris quickly. Mm hmm. So as he's on the plane to Paris, he's listening to the recording over and over again. I really like this move that he does to get into the apartment where he's waiting with gro- like a bunch of groceries, a giant bag full of groceries. So it's clear that he can't like actually open the door. So he's just waiting for someone to open the door. So he has a good cover there. One of the things that I didn't like so much about this movie, watching it, is that it, it will switch between a hyper realism or at least yeah. Hollywood realism to like very kind of over-the-top stuff. So this part that you're talking about is a good example of that. So the part where he he just goes into the hotel or apartment, yeah. like, that is great. It's very realistic. It makes sense. That's the kind of thing you can see real... Not that I know anything about real spies, but you can see real spies doing something like that. It's simple. It's effective. But then the next part where he's, like, climbing out on the roof <laughs> is, like, ridiculous. When he, it's not that like ridiculous. He, why can't he just pick the lock? Isn't that one of his particular set of skills? It seems like it's a normal lock. It's, it's like Star Wars where there's these things that don't make sense. You're so invested in the story that you don't even notice. I know. It's just a tonal shift. Like, especially because they're right after each other. It's like the simple thing to get it. And then he looks at the lock. And he's like, nah, I'm just going to go out on the rooftop and almost fall off a couple times. He gets into the apartment, still packed bags, sees the overturned chairs in his mind's eye, sees how Amanda was kidnapped, how she like kicked over chairs and everything, and then goes into the room where Kimmy was when she was kidnapped. And like, again, does the whole thing where he, in his mind, I can sort of see where she would have done and uh, what she would have done. And then notices that, you know, one of the, a picture or a mirror, I'm not sure what it was, something with glass was broken. And then sees that there's probably blood on one piece of glass. 
that part never pays off. That's right? what I realized just now. I was like, <laughs> I like that, and then I realized, wait, he never does anything with that. I yeah. thought he did later. No, no, no. no. Well, but what is great about this part, what does pay off, is he finds the phone and he finds yeah. the chip in it, and he goes through it and he finds a picture of Peter, which is great. I mean, it's no, lucky. This that... was completely unrealistic. The fact that he uses a photo kiosk at the mall to do it to zoom and enhance. I it. No, it's so <laughs> terrible. I love like. There's that. no way that where are you finding these extra pixels? No, this is it's completely ridiculous. At least it's not like a nice, crisp HD picture of him. It's right. can, we, can we say that at yeah. least? No, it's it, there's no way this could be seen in a reflection off of what, like a not even a clear, like you know, an actual mirror like a window. It's yeah, like a window. Like, yeah, no, it, there's no way. So without that, this whole movie falls apart. I liked but, it. Literally, if he didn't find this lead, then he has nothing, and he has no lead to go on. Really, I think the whole movie falling apart is a little bit much, but it is selling. I don't know if that's true because to jump ahead, he finds Peter, and then Peter just dies. But he would have no idea what he looked like. No, but even if he, he didn't let's get say anything he doesn't find Peter. Peter, like he doesn't yeah. get anything from him. He's not uh, like as he punches Peter. Peter's like, I work for the Albanians in Paradise. Fair enough. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. All right, so this is so, great. Right, so he goes. He, so he Peter does find Peter, and yeah, he's doing the same shtick that he did before about you know, trying to share a taxi, mm-hmm. and then Brian stops him and beating him up in the back seat. And so I wasn't clear: is it the driver of the car who gets up, or is it like one of his partners nearby who getting into a fight with Brian earlier in the airport? Peter makes eye contact with like the the, the bald black guy. Yeah, who they both look at. Her name is Ingrid, I guess, the, the uh, traveler. And yep. the black guy gives him like the, the slow nod, like, yeah, get her, man, get her. I guess he drives Liam Neeson back out of the car. Yep, yep. I mean, it was a pretty good plan. You trap him in the car. The problem was you don't have the driver just be like, okay, I'm just going to start driving. <laughs> yeah. That was the one flaw. <laughs> so as he's getting into a fight, Peter runs off. Parkour off of an overpass onto a truck, which is not moving. It's great. At this point, Carolyn was like, yeah, no, you could do that if you're really good at parkour. But then immediately afterwards, he steps into another lane and gets hit by a different truck. Brian, he's at a cafe. He's watching a man in a suit who's leaving the office, follows him. We found out his, it's his old contact, Jean-Claude. Where they're standing, I can see the Arc de Triomphe in the background. He gives him a card. He's now the deputy director of internal security. So he's behind a desk and he can't, you know, really help. Or so he says. I'm too important now to help you. I'm sorry. But yeah. the one thing he can do is he can he can kind of keep people out of Liam Neeson's way, which I think is more what Brian wants. He's like, just leave me alone. Let me do my investigation. Don't arrest me when I get a guy killed and like drive backwards on. Yeah, a I freeway. don't think he agreed to do that at all. I think he's well, he should be in jail then. Like, <laughs> yeah, but he also sends someone to tail Brian. That's right. He went to a linguistic school. And hired a translator. Another fantastic part. (laughs) Fantastic. Hilarious. Right. So the translator comes in. And Neeson tells him nothing beyond what he needs to know. Some great lines. Your job is to sit. Like right now your job is to sit. Great line. He goes and talks to this prostitute. And this is funny too. Where he's just like bothering her. And talks about the karaoke machine. He acts like an insane person basically. (laughs) He acts like a person with like no social capabilities. The main ploy for this is to just get the uh, pimp to come over. The pimp, like, tries, you know, gets, you know, 100 euro off of him. And as he's doing so, Brian puts a bug on him, which I, I like how you know, very quick and subtle he did it. Yeah, it's pure Batman. That's great. <laughs> Spy stuff. And also, I do like seeing big, tough action heroes pretending to be weak and be like, okay, here you go, you know, whatever you want. Because you know he could beat the shit out of that guy if you wanted to. It's another one of his particular set of skills, a more subtle one that he can pretend to be somebody else. Mm -hmm. I have to admit, it is a little fortunate that the guy goes back to the truck and they immediately start talking about where they have all the other, all the other well, women. It's not oh, immediate, no. Yeah, not immediate. It's it not immediate, not. but it's like three minutes later. It's, it doesn't yeah. wait a long time. Mm-hmm. I like this. So he, the translator, he says, translate everything they're saying. All right. So one talks about how he's sick, might have been the food he ate, and yeah. they're talking about football. I like that they. it's not you're watching a TV show and they say, well, look what's going on in the news right now. Click, and it happens to be the exact newscast that they need to see. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> so, no. 
So at least, you know, it's not the first thing, which I appreciated. And we find out that there's some trouble at a construction site is what where the rest of the merchandise is being kept is what the translator says. Yeah, and the translator says a construction site, but in my mental recon of the movie, so it makes sense, he tells the exact address of the construction site. <laughs> because presumably there's like 200 construction sites in Paris. Mm. And Liam Neeson happens to go to the exact one. My theory is that he just tails the guy. Liam Neeson drives away, but the guy is, is still there. But it doesn't matter. The point is, he goes to the construction site, and they have a, a whole line of Johns just going into tents and having their way with these human trafficked women. And Liam Neeson joins the line. <laughs> yeah, this is like the first major action scene of the movie. I think we would mm-hmm. agree. It's great. Yeah, I'd say the bit. Yeah, the first big one. So as he goes through, like looks for, through each one, sees his daughter's jacket, and at this moment, I was wondering, like, all right, we're not that far in. Is it going to be that quickly that he finds and then he goes on a rampage to get revenge against everyone who's been <laughs> part of this? Or is there going to be more? It's a perfectly reasonable prediction for how the there's, movie would go. And there's a couple good cop-outs where you think he's he's mm-hmm. found her and then he doesn't. Yeah. And this is one of them. But it's not her. But And so the girl is so drugged up that she can't tell him where she got the jacket from. And the action's pretty, it's pretty good. He gets the girl out of there. Like, I was wondering, though, when they get into a car and they start shooting up the cars, like, is the girl going to be dead at the end of this? Mm. That, that would have been a good twist. In this part, again, it becomes cartoonishly violent. And what I wrote down is it has a lot of A-team shooting. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with the 1960s TV show, The A-Team? Of course. I assume you're familiar with how in yep. every mm-hmm. episode, they have at least one shootout between... At least five or six guys, they all have machine guns. They're all firing everywhere, and no one ever gets hit by any bullets. Mm-hmm. And that happens in this car <laughs> scene and at a couple of other times, too. I also like that he causes an explosion. I think the only explosion in the entire movie. And it's is like right purely here. accidental. <laughs> or is it? Huh. Anything else to say about the this car chase scene? Um, I, I like see. to think at the end when the guy chasing him crashes into the front end loader. Oh, geez, I forgot about the that. Guy <laughs> even though the movie doesn't explicitly show it. <laughs> At least not the theatrical version that we watched. PG-13, take your 13-year-olds oh, yeah, so, to see this movie. That's right, because I actually watched the, un, I think it's either called the unrated cut or the extended cut, which mm-hmm. is the version that I had. I'm curious if they're like, I think there's only like, there's four minutes of extra footage in there somewhere, but I'm not sure if it would be really affect the viewing experience. As the, the Taken old- super fan, to my knowledge, the only difference between the two versions is he tortures Marco longer. That's, uh, to my knowledge, that's right. the only difference. Well, let's, let's, Zach, let's, can, you know, let's keep moving it. so we can get to there. So, okay. so he crashes through that office, gets free of the tail, the guy who's tailing him in the other car, and right. then switches cars. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And Carolyn taste- was actually asking me about this whole thing about what's he doing with putting a hairpin into into the cars. Like, oh, yeah, no, that is definitely a thing that you could do to get into cars if you had that kind of locking system. It's an old school way to break into, into yeah. cars. I don't think it works anymore. No, because those cars don't have the latches that, that go up anymore. Yeah, I like the yeah. whole thing with this girl because it's such a tenuous lead. You're mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, so much effort. Is it going to pay off? Is she going to tell him what he needs to know? The answer is yes. <laughs> Turns out yes. So, yes. so he goes to the hotel. He knows the manager from you know, his days being a spy. Sets mm-hmm. up that IV for the girl. Sets up a meet with Jean-Claude, who is trying to track him. And he says, we're sending you home. It's the best I could do, given that all your service. So rather than throwing you in jail. Just to go back for a second. In the part with the girl, before she wakes up, yeah, does all the medical stuff to her, and then yeah. there's a part where he has the jacket and he's yeah. holding it, and you see him, and he starts to—he almost cried, like he starts to look visibly upset. And it's a nice reminder of the emotional stakes of the movie. But up until now, he's been all like super spy, robot, karate chopping people. So I just—I like that moment. I felt like I wanted to shout it out. I did notice that, so thank you for yeah, shouting it I- out. Yeah, I really appreciate this scene here. I love this move where they think he's in one place, but he's actually in another place. Mm-hmm, and, you know, yeah. they're all coming to look for him and find him. But he's actually looking at them somewhere else, which, yeah. you know, is a move that's been in the Mission Impossible. It was in Get Smart, but I love any time they do this. I think it was in the beginning of Black Widow as well. Oh, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah. It's got to be in at least one of the Bourne movies, right? I mean, I, I don't know. Those uh, really well. Oh, yes. It seems like the kind of thing he would do. <laughs> There's one scene where he's like, 
I know you're not in your office. Why? Because I'm here. <laughs> that thing. Yeah, something like that. He goes back to the girl. She wakes up. Find out that Kimmy gave her the jacket. And yes, where is it? In, in the house with the red door. And Paradise. And apparently it's the Rue Rude de Paradis. Again, this girl was on a date with a guy. He gave her a ride. And that's it. Again, the kind of thing that happens all the time. It's scary. There's also a moment here in this part where he's talking to her and she asks him, like, why, why are you asking about this girl? Or oh. he volunteers the information. Yeah. And he's just like, this girl, she's my daughter. And then the girl immediately starts crying more, more than ever. Which yep. is, again, like, raising, raising the stakes. Yeah, so he goes to the house, and I. this was pretty good. He pretends that he is Jean-Claude. Yeah. This card says, is not good. It is not believable. Like a business card is used as an ID. <laughs> a business card is used as an ID. He's clearly an American with an American accent, and he's, he's speaking English, and he's supposed to be considered a French government I'm sorry, official. an American accent? An Irish accent? Yeah. Mm. It's just not... Liam Neeson's accent is not American. Maybe it's a political statement. Like, these guys are immigrants. They can't tell the difference. Mm. I mean, maybe. I think they can tell the difference between French and English, though. Why would a French government official come start speaking English to you? It's just not. It's the universal language, because they're Albanians. For sake of the audience, so we don't have to have subtitles. That's fair. It's, it may, might be a, you know thing where okay, yes, he was actually speaking French, but you know, we just just so that we don't have to have subtitles, we can have just him speaking English. Other than that, this part's amazing. Okay. <laughs> All right. I like that he dressed up. He had the tie. Like the yeah. leather coat. Yeah. He gets the boss and he notices one of them has a tattoo, pretends to be extorting them. And they say, oh, mm-hmm. we already do our negotiation with Mr. Macon. Mr. <laughs> Macon, Jean-Claude? No. no. Okay. Because I was going to say, because eventually he discovers that the French government is in on the trafficking. But yeah. I guess not in this. Well, no, maybe not, not the yet. French government, but part of the police. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to Intro it. Yeah. Security. He starts asking which, which one's Marco, and they're like, oh, we're all Marco. We're all from Tripoja, or uh-huh. however you pronounce it. Tripoja. Tripoja, thank you. Tripoja. Marco from Tripoja. And so he managed to get 20% of their take from them as well. That's so great. Gives yeah, them a paper great. to translate. And, which is really just a trick to get, getting them want them to say good luck and identifying which one is actually the guy who he heard on the phone. And how lucky that he just the guy he gave it to just happened to be the right <laughs> one. I don't right think one. it was luck. I think it was he was able to tell based on the guys. Like the know. way he carried himself, the way they deferred to him. Well, yeah. wasn't he the one with the tattoo anyways? We all had the same tattoo. Oh, did they all? They okay. All, I, yeah, I, I, they all had the same yeah, tattoos, yeah. This is amazing. Liam Neeson just looks at him and he says, I told you I'd find yeah. you. But so Great he quote. says, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> we spoke earlier. Yeah. We spoke so yesterday he, morning. Kills pretty much everyone besides Marco. <laughs> oh my god, it's amazing! It's so great. The fisticuffs, and then the guys come fisticuffs. into the room, and he's lying under the body and shoots a bunch of them. <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. Is this the part where you shoot somebody in the back, or is that yeah. later? Yeah, he lies in the guard, shoots it, comes out, hides in the stairwell. Guy goes by, he shoots him in the back. It's short and brutal. That's what I mean. It's like it's like relatively realistic, right? Like if you were Liam Neeson, you wouldn't have any mercy or like whatever on these guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he takes Marco, and this is the interrogation uh, scene. Uh, uh, but before no? that, oh, before that, go ahead, Christian. Finds Amanda. Oh Dead. yes, he poor dies. poor Amanda, unmourned, uh, and pretty much and, forgotten after this. And I think this is another part where you think he finds his daughter, but he doesn't. This is like one of the other fake outs. Oh yeah, he finds he sees somebody with similar hair or whatever. It's not. Yeah. I noticed there were two fade outs where it fades to black, which is very much like a TV show transition, like it's fading to commercial. Uh-huh. I thought that was funny. So she's dead from the drug overdose. And then we get <laughs> the torture scene with Marco. Christian, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things I seem to recall that in the extended edition, rather than just tying him to the chair, he like hammers nails into his hand. Mm, I don't remember that. What I did see was the shocking implements were shoved into his knees. Okay, because oh, in, mi- no- in the one we watched, the Gastro one, he just kind of clips it on the jumper no. tape. Oh, yeah, no, that, that's what it is. It's they're, they're like, oh, okay. Like, um, I don't know how exactly, but they're like, yeah, he's got like something is stabbed into his like legs, and then mm-hmm. he clipped it to that. Oh, okay. Like, that wasn't what I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah. Tortures him using the electric shocks, makes his comment about how he, they used to outsource this sort of thing. And, you know, the it's usually in a third world country where the electricity isn't good, not always work, but not like here where, you know, we have a steady stream of current and, you know, I can just turn it on and off just like that. Just leave it on all day. <laughs> 
it's great because Marco like starts off, he's like all defiant and he's not yeah. gonna say anything, and then he eventually breaks down a little quickly for my taste. Uh, I mean, but... the movie is fast paced. You know, we got to move this along. Yeah. Another reason why it's amazing. <laughs> this movie is it's an hour and a half long. Perfect. Perfect amount of time. We believe from Marco that he sold her to St. Clair. Hachidi St. Clair. Yeah, because apparently they don't keep virgins. They sell them because they're worth a lot of money. And as she leaves, leaves the power on so that he will definitely just die in agony. Hell yeah. Take that, Marco. Hell yeah. Anyway, so we go back to Jean-Claude, who is coming home, and we find that Brian is there. And Jean-Claude gets a gun from the bathroom. I like how first him and Jean-Claude are sort of talking in code, just saying, how's business go, uh, the thing you were looking after, after, and then just sort of drops the veil and no, asks if Jean-Claude is involved in all of this. Well, before he does, yeah. he says, do you know Mr. Macron? And oh, yeah. His wife says, yeah, we know Henry Macron. What's up? And Jean-Claude's like, ah, God ah. damn it. So there's no R in that. It's just M-A-C-O-N, Macron. Macron. So the R no, is not- silent? There's no, there's no R in R. the name. It's not like the president of France. <laughs> hey, Zach watched it with subtitles, okay? If there's an R in there, he would not. I also watched it with subtitles. No, I was just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so the wife gives it away, and then eventually, yes, it all comes out into the open. This part, I think, is gripping and shocking because when he shoots the wife in the arm, it's really like this is him going beyond anything we've seen. We've seen him be brutal and obviously killing, but these have been bad, bad hombres, right? Mm-hmm. But the wife is like an innocent person. And he says to Jean-Claude, the last thing you, <laughs> he's like, the last thing you see is going to be me killing your wife or something like that. It's a dark, very dark turn for a character that you otherwise consider to be a pretty much a stand-up guy. This is not the right movie for that. But Christian would attest that I like to see movies take the next step with a lot of their characters. So in another movie, it would be interesting to be like, is he going too far? Is it turning into like Death Wish or something? where he is going down a dark path from which he can't return. Mm-hmm. I'm, try- I'm trying to think of other movies like that, where like maybe he gets his daughter back, but he loses his soul along the way. Yeah, it's not that kind of movie. It's, it's like the kind of thing they would do in like a South Korean like police drama. So he just had this like database, like a computer connected to the database at home. Sure. Sure. It's also like a matter of public record. I mean, if he's involved, he knows who this guy is. Fair enough. Um, yeah. And then it's just his address. It's not like any, it's not anything like deep and dark and True. mysterious. So he gets the address from St. Clair. We find out he lived somewhere in the, all right, I completely forgot how to pronounce that, but the fourth, I'll just say, would you like, have you either been in Paris? I have a couple times. I haven't. Okay. So it's the way it's set up. It's basically like the neighborhoods are like spiral outwards. So, so he goes to St. Clair's house. They're yeah. having this another rich person party. Gives off a oh. real eyes wide shut kind of vibe. He shows like a really fake looking badge. It's just <laughs> laminated that I was like, that would not get you into there. Nope. Nope. Turn off your brain. Sign for yeah. taken. Uh, and he immediately goes down into the basement. No. So what he sees is there's a, like a, a, a private area. So he asks to see St. Clair. And I liked how like once he sees the elevator door open he pushes the the guy into the elevator knocks him out and locks him in another room yeah this is like the hitman games (laughs) yeah he goes to search the floor this part i enjoyed because he like he runs into a waiter who's asking if he could help is it yes and the next you see is just him carrying all the stuff the waiter had so we know that he knocked him out and stashed him somewhere maybe the same room where the other guy is yeah it's like star wars hey can you guys help us with this yeah yeah (laughs) that's a joke (laughs) <laughs> and then he gets into the bidding room. Oh my god. So intense. And of course, here's where we meet our Arabic villain to go along with our Eastern European villain. Oh. Yeah, we got that. We just need Russians now. They got the trifecta. <laughs> Serving champagne to do we ever get this guy's name? Well, let's see if IMDB says. Yeah. A guy who's bidding on we all these private booths basically set up. In the middle, they have they have a girl in lingerie like posing. They're all up for auction. They can press the little button, the red button in their rooms anytime they want to bid. And then we hear the announcer say that they've saved the best for last, certified pure, can speak English and some French. Which is like, yeah, she definitely can't speak French, but yeah, that's okay. Of course, it's Kimmy. Yeah, yeah, which is fortunate timing, but that's okay. This part is good because he finally is like no longer, I don't know if it's good, but it's yeah. interesting. He's no longer as cautious as he, not to say that, 
I guess this is kind of a dumb point because he's been kind of been reckless up until this point. But <laughs> he's especially reckless now. He blows his cover, yeah. makes the guy buy her, which is kind of like, I don't know why he doesn't just shoot the glass and like going after her, but. Probably bulletproof glass, I assume. Oh, what is exactly his plan was going to be after buy her? Like, did mm. he think he would just take the guy hostage? That's yep. what he said. He said, you're going to be my mm-hmm. hostage or whatever. You're going to get me to her. But when they leave, he doesn't check the corner. Doors no. and corners, Kevin. Yeah, he gets get knocked you. out right well, outside of the room. The young Arabic guy's name, I think his name is Nazir, based on okay. IMDb. And he hits, I thought it was a silent alarm at one point. I thought no, it was that's just the, the bidding button. button. It's just the but- bidding button? Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense, though. A good explanation. You know, he gets knocked out, he wakes up, and he's strung up by his arms on a pipe with some handcuffs. Right. And we meet Sinclair, who tells his guard to kill him quietly. So he gets, think- starts to get choked with a belt. He has the, like, typical villain speech, kind of like um, Trevelyan from oh. Goldeneye. Mm, Maybe I not. No? But he, or, he basically just says, it's just business. You oh, know, that, yeah. I feel like what the bad guys say all the time. Yeah, it's and not like, Trevelyan. That's more, like, it's more like what mafioso say. Yeah. Also, right. of, of note, Sinclair at least speaks with an American accent, mm-hmm. which I like. It shows this whole Colonel Enterprise is truly international. <laughs> Yeah, they're not just lazy. Yeah. They're not just a bunch of evil foreigners. But he has like a villain monologue, which mm. is kind of, you know, classic. I like this. So as he's getting choked with the belt, he managed, he, like, he managed to the pull pipe. down on the pole. Yeah. Very fortunate. This movie is not a how-to manual about how to rescue your daughter from human traffickers. <laughs> Let me just say that. It's very Hollywoodized. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if he was going to pull like a uh, Tom Cruise and like, you know, pull himself up and mm-hmm. like he does a r- ridiculous move in Rogue Nation to get himself all out of handcuffs like that. But yeah, he pulls down the pipe and the pipe like is filled with hot gas. So that goes into the face of one of the other guys. Then they have a fight and he kills all of those guards. Uncuffs himself. With a fire extinguisher. <laughs> Improvised and, weapon. Yeah. And then he... uh Gets a gun and shoots Sinclair like multiple times. Well, first he get, shoots him a couple times in like the arms. It gives up the boat really easily. Sinclair. Sinclair, yeah. Sinclair yeah. gives up the boat really easily. Yeah. What is? What does he care? He's like, don't kill me. I'll tell you who they are. I will say this movie. Liam Neeson doesn't have a lot of very good kill lines. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, after the kill lines. <laughs> I think for Sinclair, he was like, you know how you said it was business, not personal. Well, it was personal for me. Wham, wham, wham. <laughs> yeah, he's no James Bond for the one-liners. Yeah. <laughs> then we get another chase scene. Yeah, it's like the French Connection: boat versus car. Except the <laughs> boat is moving really slowly. For a while, he's chasing a car on foot, which is like not very interesting to watch because <laughs> there's no way he's gonna catch it. So I definitely thought he was gonna try to jump, like ramp the car off of the onto the boat. <laughs> I was I waiting for it. In a different kind of movie, he would. Have. Yeah, yeah, not in this, not in this kind of movie. What he does is he like tries to, like he's driving the wrong way and he, like he's driving along the Seine. So what he managed to do is to actually get drive ahead of the boat, drive onto a bridge, and then jump from the bridge onto the boat, shoulder roll to absorb the impact, and then knocks out a guy. One of the more realistic things I'd say he does in the movie. I actually didn't enjoy the car driving. Yeah. It's just so like, why does he have to drive the wrong way down a street? And I also kind of thought, I know it's a movie, a great movie, fantastic movie, but uh-huh. I kind of feel like he knows, and I guess I'm going to answer my own point, because I feel like he knows that his daughter's on the boat. Mm-hmm. This is kind of like a why doesn't he just call the police kind of moment? <laughs> you know, like, the boat's right there, they're not really going to get away, but I guess the implication is that the police are in on it, so... I'll or it's just going to take too long. So we get, uh, what was was his name, Nadir, you said? Nazir. Nazir, thank you. Yeah. Nazir is telling the Sheik that the girls are being prepared. All the girls are taken to the Sheik, and the rest of the guards are looking for Brian. There's more gunfights. Brian gets shot at one point. He jumps through windows <laughs> twice in about three minutes. Oh, I missed oh that. They're uh, great, though. They're great. So yeah. other than him getting shot, there is a lot of A-team shooting in this part, too. There's a part where, like, a guy's, like, right next to him with a pistol firing, firing, that firing. That I noticed. He's, like, <laughs> he's literally right there. I'm like, how did he not get hit? <laughs> But yeah. the knife fight with Nazir, mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Like, because I've seen those kind of knives. I was always kind of curious, like, how would you fight with that knife? I don't know. It's a lot of slashing movements. From what little I remember from my, you know, when I did stage combat, and also what I've learned a little bit from martial arts is that, you know, when you're fighting, especially with a knife, you just have to accept that one hand is going to, your hand is going to get cut up. And so you have one hand that's like a sacrifice hand, and the other hand is what you're going to use to stab. So they oh, did, geez. I think, 
you make sure that you're <laughs> you're not to have your palm out if you when you with that sacrificed hand because you could cut one of these arteries right here and then you're dead. Whereas back of the hand, there's nothing major that you couldn't bleed out from. Winner of a knife fight dies in the hospital. Loser dies on the street. <laughs> and the knife fight here was pretty good. I liked when Brian gets the uh, the wine bottle, uses that to combat the knife. It was pretty good. And then he like stabs him with his own knife. And then uses like a knee strike to really jab the knife in like three times. I was like, whoa, okay, that's that's good. I appreciated that move. It's a good, really good fight scene. I think it's relatively realistic, like, or at least it's presented in a way that you really feel yeah. like these these two guys they really just want to hurt the other person as much as they possibly can, as quickly as they possibly can. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's not like um, any kind of honor among combatants or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's not a heavily choreographed fight it's not, scene. It's no yeah. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. <laughs> Which, I mean, is its own its right. own style. Of course. Say. Yeah. Of course. Anyway, so Nazir is dead. So he goes to confront the Sheik who has Kimmy at knife point. Sheik's like, we can negotiate. And before he even finishes saying negotiate, Brian shot him in the head. Yeah, so it's great because they're looking at each other. It's like a standoff. And then the moment the Sheik starts to talk, he lets his guard down. And then that's when Brian takes the kill shot. It's great. (laughs) So I would have ended the movie with them just hugging on the boat. You could have. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. Or you could have uh, skipped the next part. Well, which which part? I think you could have skipped the part in the airport. But I think the part with the singer is is nice. I think it's a nice to have. I liked. So the airport scene back in L.A., and I like that seeing that now Brian has a better relationship with Lenore and Stuart. Like, Stuart kind of respects him now. I gotta wonder, like, what do you say to your daughter when she steps off the plane from Europe, having been kidnapped by human traffickers? Just like, thank God you're alive. Yeah. And the other thing about this part, and I'm I'm going to have a point to it, I'm not just trying to be funny. They get off the airplane, she sees her mom, and she runs to her. So I'm not just pointing that out for the sake of running it. I'm saying that if I were making the movie, I wouldn't have had her run. I, I would have tried to have her show some character development, that she's matured through this experience, and have her not run. Uh-huh. But apparently, that's just what she's going to do. You can tell we're related, right, Christian? Yes. You, just, you always try to remake the movies, dude? I like to try to have ideas. I like to share my ideas. Uh-huh. Brian, I don't know what the point of this part was, but Brian says, you know, he'll take a cab rather than ride with them. But they just yeah. leave him standing there, and he's got, like, a broken arm, and he's just, like, standing there by himself. It's ridiculous. They just get, accept the ride. Yeah. I don't know what the point of that was, but the next scene is what, you know, Matt talked about earlier, where Brian takes Kimmy to see the singer... Shira, and let's see what you got. And that's where the movie ends. Yeah, it ends with the door closing. Boom. Yeah. Ah, this movie is so tight. It's great. All right, so now it is time for our spy fact versus fiction. I have some. Okay. Christian. Go for it. Okay, so I found on Courtney'sHouse.org, so I admit not the most authoritative site, about taken fact versus fiction. So she makes some points about the human trafficking. She says, Kimmy is a wealthy white girl. But in reality, traffickers generally prey on the vulnerable, generally the socioeconomically disadvantaged, often from minority populations who are also disenfranchised a step further, like they're homeless, runaways Mm -hmm. in foster care, have disabilities. Obviously, none of these apply to Kimmy. So so Sam, he does point out that the Albanians, they used to prey on immigrant women from the Eastern Bloc. But then he said that for some reason, it was more efficient just to get They said it restaurants. was basically because they were lured over with the idea of a job as a nurse or, or not a nurse, a nanny yeah. or a maid or something. But it was cheaper to kidnap people on vacation or tourists like that because you don't have to pay airfare and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure that is true. I'm sure Courtney is right. Um, yeah, but that was the reasoning the does, in the movie. Yeah, the movie does yeah. speak to it. The movie tries to explain it right. Okay, yeah. so Courtney goes on. She says, it's quite rare to have a violent kidnapping because it's a crime. What's more likely to happen is they try to manipulate people into coming with them willingly because then they would say it's consensual. Like the one who was supposed to go to a party. Yeah, like yeah. imagine if they had actually gone to the party with Peter. Like that's, yeah. they just never would have been heard from again. And she would not have called Liam Neeson. Yeah. Also, they make the point that's like, what's what they call like grooming gangs. Mm-hmm. Where they like convince them to be a part of it willingly. Similarly, Kimmy's on drugs. 
Again, drugs are expensive, so traffickers prefer mm. to just manipulate people into staying. Auctions of permanent sex slaves are rare because you can make more money if you keep them around. So the bottom line is that Taken doesn't have much resemblance to the everyday reality of sex trafficking. That's and true, then, but I wonder how much it did to raise awareness, which I know is like kind of like bullshit. <laughs> but I, 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 I do feel like it's, it probably did raise a lot of awareness of it. So the last thing I wanted to point out is from a book I read a few years ago called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker, which is all about personal security. He talks about the logic of an assassin, okay? Which I thought this was interesting. You guys may disagree. So if you want to be famous, you can work really hard. You could touch a lot of people's lives. You can make the world a better place. You could be someone like Elon Musk. You could be someone like Martin Luther King. You could be someone like John Lennon. You could be someone like that, or you could find someone like that and kill them. Yeah, I was going to say, like, John Lennon had talent. Like, I don't have any talent. Right. So if you have no talent, but you want to be famous, you just kill someone famous. It's a sociopathic way of thinking. Like, most uh -huh. normal people never would, but that's w often why. Isn't that huh. why we have all these school shooters and stuff like that? It's for that reason? Uh, I, um, I can't really comment on that. That's not yeah. what Gavin was talking about. He was talking about assassinations of public figures, like mm. Shira. Okay, oh. so that is that is all I have. Okay. Shall we move on to our favorite quotes then? Sure. Matt, as our guest, would you like to go first? I guess so. So the Taken speech, I feel like, should be off the table for everybody because I think it's <laughs> yeah. one of the best movie quotes of all time. And maybe slightly overstating it, but I don't think so. You don't um, say. <laughs> I think the one that I like the most besides that, what he says to Marco right before he leaves, which he says, I believe you, but it's not going to save you. I like that because it reminded me of The Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Uh-huh. All right, Zach? I have quite a few. When he says it was all personal to me, mm -hmm. uh, when he says, I push a button and 30 agents will be here before you can scratch your worthless balls. <laughs> yeah, that's that was a good one, too. When he says to Jean-Claude, I will tear down the Eiffel Tower if I have to. Mm. And then finally, when he says to Stuart, now is not the time for oh, dick You took, took <laughs> two of my... Uh, I was going to do the voice too, but that's fine. I have, I'm retired, not dead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Carolyn wanted me to say that she liked the, it was all personal to me. And mm -hmm. lastly, I have, this is what happens when you sit behind a desk. You forget things like the weight of a gun in your hand. that's not loaded. The one that's not. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize we could bring up more than one. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of the other ones I liked is he says to Lenore, you have no idea what the world is like, which mm -hmm. is good. I like the Eiffel Tower one. And then I also liked what he says to John Clark, where he says, Sorry, doesn't cut it. Not this time. <laughs> yeah, it was way more quotable than I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now it's time for our ratings on a scale of one to 10 martinis. One being the Avengers 1997. 10 being even better than No Time to Die, if you're Lance. How would we <laughs> rate Taken? That, as our guest, would you like to go first? Can you do half a martini? Yep. yep. Then I would do nine and a half. Wow. I thought you were going to do 10 out of 10. No, well, I thought that too. But when I rewatched it, I realized it does have a couple of gaps. It does have a couple of imperfections. So I did that. So I took half half. Would you want to tell us what those gaps are really quickly? Yeah, just like the A-team shooting, this, the uh, switching between realism and kind of cartoonish violence. A couple missed opportunities, a couple gaps, like the construction site, how he knows the exact construction site he needs to go to, things like that. All right. All right. Zach? So I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. I think it's a really enjoyable movie, but it has a little bit of a Dark Knight issue. Not The Dark oh. Knight Returns, The Dark Knight. And once you know how it all shakes out, you're just kind of waiting for the next action scene. And some of the investigations didn't quite grab me as much as they did the first time around. It also reminded me a little bit of Bad Max Fury Road, where it's not a whole lot of story, but that's what's great about it, is that it's a very clear goal, unlike a lot of other spy movies where there's a whole mystery element where they're investigating along with the action. This time, mm -hmm. it's much more get from A to B. All right, so I'm going to give this... You know what? I'm also going to give this an 8. I thought... It was really enjoyable, even though I made a little gripe about the action editing. Action was still pretty good. I liked seeing him use whatever skills he had, you know, his very particular set of skills to find his daughter. And I don't give it any higher. Is that zoom and enhance really bugged <laughs> me? It's just like one of my pet peeves in movie where maybe I'll accept it if it's done in like a super secret spy lab or something but if it's done in 2008 on this photo kiosk no that that makes zero sense but other than that i really enjoyed the movie and i i know that the next two are not as good but i am still curious to see them so, 
I think you're going to regret it, but that's fine. It's funny okay. that the photo kiosk thing bothered you so much because I had no memory of that. <laughs> so, so we're recording this in 2021. This movie came out in 2008 and you didn't see it until 2021. So why don't you wait another 13 <laughs> years and then you can see Taken 2 and then wait another 13 and see Taken 3. <laughs> if this podcast is still going at that point, I will use my very set particular set of skills to make sure that you're on that podcast. <laughs> well, I'm glad you finally got to see it, Christian. It is a great movie. We really enjoy it. Well, thank you for joining us, Matt. Is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, yeah, listen to Tuesday Night Gaming. Why not? Thank you all for joining us. You can catch us on social media at the SpyFi Guys under Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are the SpyFi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.